series, and this morning I'm going to be reading a part from Genesis 42 and a part from Genesis 45 as we get this sermon started. So when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some food for us that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, which the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's son were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. 45. And then Joseph can no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Father, this morning, Lord, we are coming face to face with a passage that showed a man who displayed your love and forgiveness. God, he had all the reason in the world to be angry. But God, I pray, Father, this morning that you would teach us to release the anger to allow your love to reign supreme. Lord, if we are struggling with unforgiveness, if anybody's here, God, I pray that today would be a day that they learn to release that. Because when they release it, Father, they will find freedom in your love and grace. And so this morning, Father, I pray that you would work on our hearts and bring to mind anyone that maybe we haven't forgiven, that hurt us, that harmed us. God, and I look forward to hearing what Pastor Doyle has to say this morning. So empower him, Jesus, with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn again to Genesis chapter 42. You know there are clean wounds and dirty wounds. If you've ever had a splinter in your finger, it's insignificant. But till you get it out, it gets red, full of pus and corruption, and can grow into something much worse. <clears throat> I have a friend who was heading to a counseling session with his father when a dump truck ran into their van. His dad was killed instantly. And uh, his stomach was torn open and exposed 
and debris filled his stomach cavity. He was in a trauma center in Grant Hospital in Columbus for months. And for years afterwards, he still has issues as they've tried to take all of the corruption that's been in there out. I think of a man who was in one of my churches years ago who was a Korean War vet. And in the Korean War, uh, a bomb went off and he had shrapnel in his right leg. It was inoperable. They just left it go. And he walked with a limp all the time I knew him. And from time to time, a piece of that shrapnel would work its way to the surface and would cause pain. He had to go in for surgery to have it removed. And finally, <clears throat> it was a piece of that shrapnel that finally killed him with sepsis and corruption. There are clean wounds and dirty wounds. I've, I've met people as a pastor over the years who've had incredibly horrible things done to them, painful, shameful things. I've seen people with a small wound. I've seen it ruin their lives because they couldn't find forgiveness and grace. It had festered. I've seen it ruin marriages, relationships to children. And I've seen people who've had the unspeakable done to them, who've had fruitful and functioning lives. Can I say this about sin or any other issue in your life? It's not right until it's right with God. The Bible says he who covers his sin will not prosper but whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will find mercy. You say, Pastor, it's been years. These brothers have gone on with their life like nothing happened. Everything's like it was. Things are peaceful now, and that's further from the truth. They've grown up. They've had children of their own. And the older they've gotten, the more they've realized how what they did to their little brother was so horrible. Their consciences have convicted them. It's made them sensitive to everything in their lives. And when it looks like God has forgotten all about it, we read these words. There was famine in the land. Do you believe God sent the famine? Oh, yes, he's sovereign. He predicted through Joseph these seven years of leanness and seven years of fruitfulness. God is sovereign over famine and hunger. That's what he used to bring the prodigal home, wasn't it? Well, as we turn to our passage, if you want to use your outline, we see the paralysis of hidden sin. Now, Joseph's uh, father, Jacob, says in chapter 42, verse 1, Why are you sitting around looking at each other when there's grain in Egypt? Now, remember what I said? The story of the shotgun, any time it was brought up, you always felt a little uncomfortable. It's like the country preacher said, I stopped preaching on chicken stealing because every time I mentioned it, it seemed to throw such a chill over the congregation. But they, he said a word that sent terror through them every time they heard it. What word was that? Egypt. Because they sold their brother to a traitor's, Ishmaelite traitors who were on their way to Egypt. And so that was a dirty word to them. Well, 
Jacob realizes we've got to get food, so he sends the ten boys. Who didn't he send? He didn't send little Benjamin because he just has a bad feeling. He didn't want to send him with his big brothers. I think Jacob understood more than we realized. But when they finally get to Egypt, verse 6, and can you see the emotion? Can you imagine what Joseph felt? There is the pain of recognition. There are those ten brothers. And because he's the second most important man in the world, they bowed down. And what did Joseph remember when they bowed? That dream. That dream. He recognizes them immediately. You couldn't forget him, could you? But they don't recognize him. It'd be fun to take a few minutes and say, why don't you think they recognize Joseph? I think a number of reasons. Number one, he was just a boy at the time. Now he's 30-plus years old. Um, he's probably dressed and he's, he's covert like someone would be in Egypt. Maybe he even has a veil. We don't know. Maybe there was distance. I'm sure there was between him and subjects. But I think the biggest reason they don't recognize him is they're not expecting to see him. They think he's gone. They think he's dead, I'm sure. Well, the next thing we do, we see Joseph does something we think is unexplainable. He begins to be harsh with his brothers. You say, well, pastor, he's, he's angry. He wants to give it back to him. And that isn't true at all. We're going to see this. He has long ago forgiven them. But what he wants to do is, he's, he's like Jesus. He's going to be a great physician of souls. And I'm sure the first desire he has, I'm sure he wants to reveal himself to his brothers. But more than that, he wants to see if God is done a work or is doing a work in their lives. We read in chapter 41, verse 39, that Joseph was a man of great wisdom. And I think that's more than earthly wisdom. I think it's divine and spiritual wisdom. It says in verse 9 of chapter 42, when they bowed down, Joseph remembered his dreams. He's putting it all together himself. And if Joseph revealed himself to them now, maybe they would never see the enormity of their sin. So I want you to see how this physician of souls is going to deal with these stubborn brothers. Number one, He's going to awaken their consciences. You see, folks, repentance, and by the way, I think one of the failures of pastors in America today is we try to bring people to Christ before we've plowed the ground and planted the seed. We've forgotten to preach the necessity of repentance before we can get people saved. I learned this years ago. Jeff can understand this too. It's not hard to get people saved. That's a divine work God does. What's hard is to get people lost. I remember sitting down with a woman in her 80s trying to convince her she was a sinner and she just wouldn't buy it. But before you can find him as a savior, you have to recognize that you are a sinner in need of salvation. So 
So Joseph is going to break the soil in their lives. First of all, in verse 7, he spoke harshly to them. And that's what God does too, isn't it? He thunders at us through the law to remind us that we've broken his word. We're rebels against the Lord. He spoke harshly to them. Three times he says, you're spies. You're spies. He's putting them into fear and to guilt. And in verse 11, they're frightened, and then they betray more, I think, than they realize. They said, no, we are all sons of one man, and we are honest men. Really? You've lied to your father and to my brother for 22 years. Honest men? And then he gives away something else in verse 13. Behold, the youngest is this day with their father, and one is not. Can you imagine Joseph hearing these things? He knows his little brother's still safe. He's still alive. And then the next thing I want you to notice, he gives them a taste of their own medicine. going to test their honesty in verse 15. Uh, so he says, listen, you said there's one more brother. I don't believe you, but to prove it, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep one of you until you bring back that other brother to prove to me you have another brother. And uh, they, of course, keep Simeon. But I want you to notice what else he does. Verse 17. He put them into custody for three days. He puts them into a prison for three days to give them a taste of their own medicine because we believe that they had Joseph in that pit for three days. Let me give you a taste of what your little brother went through. But I want you to notice this too. Not only does he give them a taste of harshness, gives him a taste of kindness. He puts the silver that they brought to pay for the grain back in their sacks. Romans 2.4 says, God also uses his goodness to bring us to repentance. I've met a lot of folks that the fear of hell brought them to salvation, and I've met many other people to whom the Lord's goodness has brought them to salvation. Notice chapter 42, verse 21. But when they had uh, eaten, then no one would have known that they had eaten bread, for they were still sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. When I when I cry, I lose my vision. Chapter 42, verse 21. And then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And this is after he's done kindness to them. Even kindness brings conviction. In truth, we have been guilty concerning, and what's the next phrase there? They don't call him the dreamer, do they? Our brother. In that we saw the distress of his soul, and when he begged us and we did not listen, that is why 
this distress has come upon us. Now they're on their way home. They've got their money back in their sack. But still, the guilt is there. The remorse is there. I mentioned there are clean wounds and dirty wounds. But when they come home and they share what happened, it reawakened the pain in Jacob's life. Verse 37 of chapter 42 they told him that they had to leave Simeon behind. In verse 34, the brothers said, they said, if we want Simeon back, we have to bring the little brother to prove that he's there. And look at his response, verse 36 of chapter 42. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. Everything is against me. Well, He's anticipating Simeon was killed as well. And, and here's what we like to remind him of. And here's a reminder to every one of us. No matter how horrible the situation looks, the Lord Jesus Christ is at the most important sovereign place in the universe. If God is for us, no one can be against us. Romans 8, 31. Well... Jacob says, oh no, I'm, I'm not sure about Simeon yet, but I'm not going to risk losing my youngest son. And so what does the Lord do next? The Lord, and by the way, the Lord knows how to solve every difficulty. He knows how to deal with sin and disobedience in every life. The next thing that the Lord does is he eliminates every option. Chapter 43, verses 1 through 9. The famine has grown even more severe, and there's no grain left. They've got to go back to Egypt. Chapters th chapter 43, verse 3 through 8, Judah pleads with his father, Dad, I will be a pledge for his safety. This is the same brother who sold Joseph. Hold me accountable, Father, for my little brother. Hold me accountable. You see, folks, God can change hearts. Verse 11, Jacob gives in, and he sends Benjamin. Now, can you see God's divine hand in all of this? Here are ten brothers now playing the part of the Midianite tra uh, traders, they are taking Benjamin down to Egypt as the Ishmaelites took Joseph. And Benjamin is now playing the part of Joseph. And so when Jacob sends him back, he says, okay, let's take all the money that was in your bag and let's, take, let's double it. I don't want any excuse. Let's pay him double the money when you go back for that grain. And in verse 14, Jacob prays a prayer when his sons leave. May God Almighty grant you favor before this man. Not knowing this man is his lost son. The third thing I want you to know, folks, and please understand this. The road forward is the road back. The road forward is the road back. 
uh, Corey Tenboom often said, if you want to get your heart right with the Lord, and I've shared this with people so many times, you're going to have to go back and get back on the road where you got off. I've met people who think, well, I'm just going to get back on the road. Everything's the same. And the Lord says, oh, no, you've got stuff to deal with back here. Remember Pilgrim's Progress. They're going along the highway that Mr. Evangelist told them to travel. And he says, whatever you do, don't get off the highway. Well, they look over to the side and see these luscious green fields. And they say, you know, that would be a whole lot better on our sore feet. Let's follow along the road in those fields for a while. And, of course, they did. And they got lost. And they got caught by giant despair who put them in his dungeon. And they only get out when they remember they have a key, and that's the key of promise. But when they get back, when they get out of the prison, they have to go all the way back to where they got off the highway to get back on. And as a pastor, I've had so many times with people where I say, wait a minute, you've got to go back there and put some stuff right that you just can't ignore. You say, well, that's so painful, pastor. Yes, it's better to have pain and deal with it now that have ongoing pain the rest of your life. Go back there where you got off and put it right with the people that you made it wrong with. And when it's right with the Lord, it'll be right with everybody. But when they got back the second time and get their grain, verse 18, Joseph treats them like royalty. Now, that ought to make them happy, shouldn't it? But they don't trust it. You know why? Their brother Levi and Simeon did the same thing before they killed the Shechemites. They made them think they were their friends, and then they killed them, remember, for the rape of their sister. So they're the only one enjoying the meal is Benjamin because Benjamin doesn't know what they did. He's enjoying the meal. And then the next thing I want you to notice is Joseph seats them through his intermediary according to birth order. And they're looking at each other like, is this man a necromancer or something? I, I mean, how does he know our birth order? And it tells us there in verse 26 and 20, in verse 30 of chapter 43. We read that he puts five times as much food in front of Benjamin as the other brothers. But as he looks at his little brother, he can't contain himself. And he leaves the room and he weeps. He weeps for the lost years, but also knowing that God has given him back this brother. Now, why did he put five times as much food in front of Benjamin? He wants to see if they're jealous. Are they jealous of Benjamin like they were of me? And evidently they weren't. They're, they're thrilled about the fact that he's getting taken care of. And then everything's packed up. They go on their way. And pretty soon uh, Joseph, uh, the high priest there, or, not, or the uh, leader of the country, sends guards after them. says, wait a minute. Someone has stolen Joseph's goblet. And we think one of you did. Chapter 44, verse 9, and whoever's sack it's found 
they will be killed and the rest of you will become my servants for the rest of your life. And they said, well, um, we didn't do anything. Go ahead and look. You're not going to find anything. Don't worry about it. But when they opened the sack, they found all the money. And in Benjamin's sack, they found Joseph's goblet. And I want you to notice the next verse, chapter 44, verse 13. All of them tore their robes. Do you remember when they took Joseph's coat back to daddy? Only Jacob tore his robe. But when they realized their little brother has a death sentence, all of them tore their robes. It says in verse 14, they all threw themselves at his feet. Verse 17, I'll keep the one who did this deed. Then he's going to give him another option. I'm going to keep the one who did this, and the rest of you can go home in peace. See the test? You gave up me. Will you give up my little brother for your own lives? Here's a chance to save your skin. All we have to do is leave little brother behind. And I want you to notice chapter 44, verse 18 and following. This is from the brother whose idea it was to sell Joseph into slavery. This is from Judah. Look at this, one of the most beautiful passages in God's word. Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in, in my Lord's ear and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are as like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to you, my Lord, we have a, a father, an old man and a young brother, and the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father... His father would die. It would be overwhelming to him. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. And when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If the youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see this man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. And then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has done. He's been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray head to the, to the evil, uh, and evil to Sheol. 
Now, therefore, as soon as I have come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up into the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then shall, uh, I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy. Please let me stay instead of the boy, as, uh, as I say. And send the boy back to his father with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. You see what happened? The son that delivered up Joseph and whose scheme it was to send him into slavery says, No, whatever you do, please Keep me and send him back to my father. I, can't, I couldn't bear what would happen to my father. By the way, this is the first place in Scripture where someone volunteers to give up their life for another. Will they step in to save Benjamin or will they give him up like they did me? Well, Chapter 45, this wonderful passage that was read this morning. He puts everyone out of the room. And he gets close to his brothers. The painting on the back shows you one of the artists' rendition of that. I am Joseph. I want to, when I get to heaven, I want to see that on the replay. Don't you? And they were terrified because... Number one, they can't believe it's possible. It can't be true. And then all of a sudden they realize it is him. And we think of the tears and the remorse and the words that were expressed. Now later on when jo Jacob dies, they're afraid that Joseph will take vengeance. And he reminds them back then uh, that he's already forgiven them. But I want to take a little time this morning to talk about forgiveness before we leave. The first thing I'm going to say about forgiveness is it often takes considerable time to come to that place. Sometimes God's going to have to put you through or other people through painful trials and experiences. And you know, pro prodigals don't often realize how they broke their father's hearts until their own sons break their hearts. Sometimes it takes time. And God is in no hurry to hurry this process. Forgiveness, let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not approving what they did. That's not forgiveness. When you come to chapter 50, when they're afraid Joseph's going to hurt them, Joseph said, notice this, you meant it for evil. He doesn't let them off the hook. You meant it for evil. In chapter 45, verse 4, he said, you sold me. Forgiveness isn't for, for 
pretending it didn't happen. It's, it's not giving approval. Forgiveness isn't giving excuses for what people did. Forgiveness isn't justifying it, trying to make wrong look right. Forgiveness isn't even pardoning what they did because you can't do that anyway. And often, even after forgiveness, God will exercise his discipline and there will be consciences. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Sometimes there's a harvest that has to be uh, reaped in the process of forgiveness. It's not always reconciliation. It takes two people for reconciliation. The other person may have died. The other person may want nothing to do with you. You may forgive them, but you, you, know, you may not want them to be your closest friend the rest of your life either. Forgiveness isn't denying what they did or living, repressing it, denying it ever happened. Forgiveness is pretending not to see it as if it didn't happen. Forgiveness isn't pretending it doesn't hurt, keeping a stiff upper lip, because it does hurt and it will hurt. Forgiveness is, in the fullest sense, it's not even forgetting what has happened. Because many things in your life you'll never be able to forgive to forget. But forgiveness is choosing willfully not to remember those things. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness means being honest about your sins and your failures and coming clean before the Lord. You know, when you confess your sin, you're giving God glory because you're telling people what happened was because of your evil and not God's. So confession brings God's glory as well. Forgiveness is coming clean and calling sin what it is. Nothing bothers me more than to see people in the media, famous people, people you know, said, I made a mistake. Tiger Woods said that when it was found out about all of his immorality. A mistake is when you write 2020 on your check instead of 2021. Evil is when you willfully do what hurts and damages people and is a sin against God. It's evil. It's not a mistake. Call it what it is before the Lord. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. What forgiveness is, it's costly because it involves shame and pain and lies and slander and abuse and deception and humiliation. Sin causes wasted lives and wasted bodies and wasted years. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, you at one time were servants of the devil. You were living in darkness. You were living in evil. But God, who is rich in mercy by his great grace, which he has, forgave you in Jesus Christ and made you alive in him. Forgiveness is honesty, being totally aware of all that's being said and done. Forgiveness is refusing to be judge, jury, and executioner. Paul says in Romans 12, 
God is the God of vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Pastor, I want to forgive him, but I want to see him get their comeuppance. Listen to me. If you step into God's place and try to be that, it'll always backfire. But take your hands off of the situation. Take your hands off of the people. Put them into God's hands, and God will deal with them. He disciplines his own children. He reminds us in Hebrews chapter 12, and he deals with sinners. Trust me. God will deal with every sin. Henrietta C. Mears always said, no one will get away with anything. God will deal with it. Leave it with him. Forgiveness involves making choices. You're going to choose not to point the finger. You're going to refuse to continue to open up old wounds Forgiveness is you're not going to tell everybody in the world over and over what someone did to you. Forgiveness is being merciful as God was merciful to you. Forgiveness is being gracious, not just being forgiving, but being kind to them. Forgiveness is refusing to allow bitterness to creep into your life. I want you to see something amazing about Joseph. Joseph later has two children right when the right before the famine hits. Chapter 41 of Genesis, verse 50 and 51. Joseph has two children. And what was the name of his first son? Anyone know that? Where's the little girl that has the answers? First one was Manasseh. And do you know what Manasseh means? Forgetful. He named him forgetful because he said, the Lord has helped me to forget what my brothers did to me. You know how I know he forgot it? Because we read in chapter 41, or chapter 40, verse 15, remember when he was talking to the baker and the cupbearer, and he said, when you get out of here, remember me to Pharaoh. In that process, he says to them in chapter 40, verse 15, he said, the Midianites stole me away from my brothers. Is that the way you remember it? And then he had another child, and his child, that child's name was Ephraim, which means fruitful. And folks, if you take nothing else home, take this home. You'll never be fruitful till you're what? Till you're forgetful. Till you put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. Till you release them into God's sovereign care. Till you let go of the bitterness and the hurt and the anger. And then God will help to make your life fruitful. I've met people, you've met people who had some hurt in their life and they rehearse it every day and their lives are miserable and they're terrible people to be around and nobody likes them and their life is a mess and they wonder why and it's because they're not willing to put it into the hands who loves and cares more than anyone in the world and that's God. 
Forgiveness isn't waiting for repentance. Joseph wasn't seeking for his forgiveness. He wanted their forgiveness with the Lord for what they've done. I'll close with this. All of you, do all of you know who Johnny Erickson is? 19-year-old girl, dove in the water, broke her neck. She's, uh, she's still going. She's battled cancer. Years ago, <clears throat> I sent a letter to three people. One of them was a man who's been in, his, in a, a bed his entire life. I forget who the third was, but one of them was Johnny Erickson. And I said, has there been a book? Has there been anything that's helped you deal with what you've faced? All three people responded back. All three people had the same book on their list. A.W. Pink's book, The Sovereignty of God. She said, the only thing that helped me when I faced living my life as someone without control of their body in a chair the only thing that helped me, and people would give all kinds of theological answers and excuses, the only thing that got me through it was to say this, God did it. That's what helped to save my life. Because I can trust that fact. W.E. Sangster, the great Scottish preacher, had a woman come to him and said, Dr. Sangster, please pray for me. Please, God is taking my sight away. And Dr. Sangster said, young woman, don't let him do it. Give it to him. And here's another truth Joseph knew. There's a bigger picture. And folks, we may not see it in this world, but down the road one day, we're looking at this underside of the tapestry with all of these uh, threads crossing and making no sense. But one day, it'll be turned over and we'll see the, the other side and we'll see the beautiful tapestry that God has made of your life. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil. And listen to this. God meant it for good. Four times in chapter 45 of Genesis, four times Joseph says this. God sent me. In closing, is this my fourth time, third time, closing? When a pastor says in closing, it means nothing. <laughs> Do you know what Jesus called the cross in John 18, 11? Jesus called the cross the cup my father gave me. You know, I've had people hurt me as a pastor through the years. You can't get through ministry without hurts. But you know, I can look back now and see some of the toughest times in my life as a pastor God used to bring great blessing. The hurts and heartaches of ministry made me a pastor. 
And so as we leave the life of Joseph this morning, please understand, understand this. God can take the biggest mess that you've made of your life, and he can take those tangled threads, and he can take that stain on the hanky, and he can make it part of that painting of your life that's one day going to produce something beautiful. Don't get bitter. Get back to the Father. Go back to where you got off the road. Get back on. Ask God for forgiveness. Put it right and take the grace that's yours. Let's close in prayer.